1: Biggest blessings of the past four years, because as of two days ago, this is two days ago marked the fourth anniversary since I dove into the COVID deep end, and one of the biggest blessings of the past four years was in October of 22, I believe it was, was the first the inaugural FLCCC meeting down in Orlando. And Jordan, uh, you spoke at that, and once again, it's the newest one that just occurred this past weekend. You spoke again at the third and uh, the third educational conference that they had, and I can't wait uh, for you to share it with our audience some of the things uh, y'all discussed.
2: Yeah. So, first off, I think the most interesting thing is just kind of the development. So, a lot of people hear the word FLCCC or the acronym. Obviously, it actually starts for first line critical care consortium, which is interesting because uh, me and Dr. Lee are uh, not critical care physicians, but it does show you that um, sometimes the birth of something doesn't necessarily have to have to start where it actually ends up, which is now in helping and treating people in the outpatient world. But what the FLCCC started as was to, uh, Specific critical care physicians added with a couple other ones were always talking every day on how to treat the patients that they were seeing with this new disease. And I think what happened from that was what should happen in medicine, which is sitting around uh, with other physicians, finding unique things about diseases, trying things that might help with those unique causes. And when you have success, sharing that information with other people. Now that's how medicine used to work, uh, but in many ways, what has now become the norm is we all sit in a room and wait for our dictates from on high to tell us what works. But as any good physician knows, uh, you can actually make pretty good inferences with observation, and uh, you know treat patients that are in front of you without waiting for some octogenarian in Washington to give you um, information on how to do it Uh, first of all that's true second of all a lot of times the stuff that they give you um, from on high is uh curated by the uh most uh most uh greedy of the bunch which should be the medical industrial complex so what they want you to do is have some type of treatment that is new novel patentable and expensive and that is kind of exactly the opposite of what we think should be done so the flccc Started as more critical care physicians, but those critical care physicians over time realized that uh, they needed to start treating people in the outpatient setting. And then from that, with the onset of the vaccine, as well as just uh, COVID itself being something that causes, especially in a certain population, um, uh, residual or what we call persistent disease manifestations, um, that there needed to be people spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to help those folks too. And so what has now become the FLCCC is really a group of doctors that are like-minded, that are committed to caring for patients and making sure that when caring for patients, they're honest upfront and also informing the patient about what they're doing. Uh, In many ways, we're trying to return medicine to its core, uh, which was uh, patient-centered and uh, really what uh, medicine also is, which is alleviating suffering. Um, So all those things being true, it was great to have uh, the third meeting. And interestingly enough, I mean, we did focus a lot on how to treat uh, long COVID vaccine injury. Uh, But one of the other goals is as we have morphed a little bit beyond COVID, not that COVID's going away, not that the vaccine injury is going away, but just that the actual kind of specific focus of it is um, is not as needed as much, particularly. Uh, what we have realized is, and the FLCCC has realized, is we are going to be a um, bastion of truth and are going to be people that are committed. To caring for patients and finding other places, especially in chronic disease states, that we think repurposed medicines and honesty—honesty, honesty probably even before repurposed medicines—can be super important. So what that means is, is at this conference we actually called uh, the conference the kind of healthcare revolution. Healthcare revolution, uh, meaning that uh, we need almost a rebirth of the definition. Of what being a good doctor means, um, and the additional things that uh, were talked about included um, kind of a new moniker uh, for our organization, which is FLCCC is going to be kind of the the moniker. It's going to be kind of stand for one thing, but also the uh, the concept of what we call honest medicine. And honest medicine, I think, is is super important because I think one of the core things that has been exposed the last four years is that there is a lot of deception. There's a lot of dishonesty and there's a lot of outside influences in medicine that get between you and your physician. Um, Interestingly enough, the, uh, the, one of the, talks was actually by a guy named Robert Lufkin, who's a big uh, uh, radiologist who um, was kind of suffering his own plight with chronic disease states after being a teaching physician uh, in the uh, UCLA and USC medical system. And his new book called Lies I Taught in Medical School um, is going to be coming out pretty soon. And what it was kind of focused on was a lot of what We are taught a lot of the concepts we're taught, a lot of the concepts we abide by are not necessarily true. And so uh, Lufkin kind of exposes that. And what he does is instead of taking, you know, as he gets diagnosed with type two diabetes and a couple other things like hypertension, hyperlipidemia, his well-meaning internist uh, decided to get him on some medications. But the interesting thing was, is he went back and tried to learn for himself what he could actually do and what he did was uh, follow uh, the paradigms of intermittent fasting changing his dietary intake changing a lot of other things like that and within six months uh, he was off medications completely and was basically surprised that his physician was surprised that, that that worked so well so it goes back to the fact that A lot of what physicians are pushing um, or telling you to do, uh, it's a lot easier to give you a pill. It's a lot easier to uh, meet some criteria that some governing body set up if uh, they get you to fill a prescription for something. Uh, But that is not the truth. And in the truth, uh, one of the main things that I think he did a good job of pointing out is, uh, the concept, and even I was taught this, I mean, when we talk about weight loss in medical school, we used to just think of it as calorie counting. I know calorie counting is still probably a popular thing that it's done, but calorie counting uh, assumes that all calories are created equal. And What we have realized, not realized, we have always known really, its um, is that all calories are not created equal. Yes, you know, in a kilometer, uh, which could maybe tell you how much energy there is in this calorie, it might be true, but how that caloric uh, molecule affects or interacts with your body is very different. And so in that case, you're going to have different outcomes. And I think that's one of the fundamental things that needs to be changed. A lot of people assume that the only way to lose weight is to decrease calorie intake. Well, that is true in some senses, but you've got to understand also that calories, uh, even if they're one, Calorie uh, affect your body different. Things like carbohydrates or sugars are cause you to secrete insulin to upregulate insulin growth factor, all those kind of things. While um, things like fats and things like proteins don't. So again, those might be equal calories, but how they actually stimulate your body to respond is going to be very different. And when that happens, you are, uh, you know, the secondary effects take over. So. That's one of kind of the foundational things that I think needs to be questioned. The uh, additional things that were talked about during all this um, was uh, I obviously talked a good bit about uh, the vascular complications of the vaccine as well as COVID uh, and then how it relates to things like venous disease. And I think that's one of the things that is very fascinating and it continues to be something that we, um, you know, are continuing to discover and work. Toward figuring out how to fix um, the, uh, the other things that were done, we're talking about one of the new things that uh, Paul and Pierre are kind of heading the organization toward, which is uh, another chronic disease that we talk about a lot is uh, cancer. Cancer, I think fundamentally is something that has been captured by the military industrial or sorry, medical same thing, medical industrial complex. Um, and it is a big moneymaker and it is something that I think fundamentally has been mis, um, misguided in our treatment modalities. And and so I think a lot of times there might be, or there probably is lots of repurposed medicines or medicines that uh, can do a lot of good in cancer therapies. There's also a lot of lifestyle changes, cheap hormones, uh, photobiomodulation, um, you know, a lot of different things that we can do: uh, intermittent fasting, changing the dynamics of, of growth uh, that we really ignore and don't even include in what I would call cancer approaching cancer from all modalities. So some of it wasn't saying necessarily that you needed to avoid all current therapeutics for cancer. Uh, there's many of them that are good, but the uh, you know basic mantra that cancer can only be treated by cut, kill and burn um, and only do it with expensive uh, medicines that are new uh, is is again a lie that uh, we probably teach a lot in medical school. Um, So one of the things that uh, Dr. Merrick and uh, another doctor, Dr. Ruddy, are currently working toward is actually doing a true um, True analysis of repurposed medicines in the treatment of cancers. So, Dr. Ruddy is a breast surgeon, and she has treated malignancies uh, of the breast for a long time. She's actually one of the more uh, famous uh, female breast surgeons, and in that context, developed an understanding of what cancer is and what cancer is not. She also researched it for a long time. She also started to see some of the duplicity and, again, maybe the lies that. We're taught in medical school on what's going on uh, when we talk about how treatments have evolved. Uh, she tells some pretty amazing stories about some um, patients that she was contacted by to see if they could try some alternative methods for uh, treating uh, malignancies. Um, and when she did this with repurposed medicines, uh, the outcomes were pretty incredible since that time, she started to think back on how uh, an organization like FLCCC and herself could come up with a way to do at least a true observational study and see if um, picking repurposed medicines uh, actually had a change in outcome, a change in life expectancy in disease. And what she found was that the best way to do this might be through utilizing the Framingham study and the Framingham study being this um, town in Massachusetts that um, basically we keep lots of good records on. And it would be an interesting thing to actually have a true observational study of those people. We know pretty much everything about them. um, And then as they develop cancer versus the cancers, uh, you know, uh, we would, implement repurposed medicines in one cohort and not the other, and then see if the outcomes are different. Some people, you know, again, it would be a total voluntary thing. So there's going to be some bias there. Uh, but in terms of people who want to do a repurposed route versus people who want to do more of the traditional, what I would call medical industrial complex route of cancer treatment, where are the outcomes or what were the outcomes going to be different? And I think that is a great undertaking An undertaking that is going to be really cool to see. I'm sure it's going to get lots of pushback. And I think Dr. Mm -hmm. um, Ruddy as well as Dr. Merrick are ready for that. But I think it is a time to sit down and rethink a lot of what um, medicine proposes to be and the treatments that we propose to have and how those things really work. And are they really working? Um, I think medicine asked to reevaluate itself, especially after the last four years, because as was utterly exposed as fraudulent was our response, our response to uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and everything we did, it is pretty evident that everything that we preached, everything that our profession preached, everything that our profession did, uh, at minimum did little uh and really at a most maybe be have harmed or did harm um multiple people um most notably our kids by keeping them out of school or in-person learning for such a long time so all of that is a kind of a quick review um of what was going on at the conference and i think it was just a great uh a, a great way to get it together with a lot of um folks again we're talking about uh, sold out. Um, we actually had to end up renting a third hotel to keep up with all the people. Um, and we had packed out ballroom, about 600 plus people, probably 500 of those were physicians, um, or providers. And it was just an exciting time. Again, very, very rarely in my life has a conference been so, um, interesting and also, uh, packed out all the time. I mean we're talking about rarely a empty seat in the room to get which is if you've ever been to any kind of educational conference you know that the finding a seat after the first uh, <laughs> after the first presentation isn't very hard. But with that this is Dr. Jordan Vaughan and Dr. Stuart Tankersley with America
3: Out Loud Pulse. We will be back. for 25% off your first order.
4: Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And healthy cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our
5: very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, Even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite. And providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. We Power Potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today.
1: Welcome back to America Out Loud Pulse. I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley, and with Dr. Jordan Vaughn, we are going to uh, take an interesting review of a podcast that was recently done by Del Bigtree with John Bodowin. And we have been stunned and spoke about it a few times. Uh, I think the Hill, <laughs> the Hill um, newspaper pointing it out uh, last fall was begun a huge avalanche of more and more people uh, hearing about this horrible, horrible reality we're stuck with, where all these excess deaths compared to before 2021, not 2020, but 2021 in particular because of the COVID shots, how uh, unprecedented this is. And as a result, what we need to do, obviously a lot of things need to happen, but it's just truly horrific what's going on. And uh, I think Dr. Um, this guy, John Budowin, is a, a statistician and a, uh, knows how to analyze. He's a data data analyst. And so I think the first segment uh, that we're going to play for you is getting to the end, uh, at the end of the interview. The solution basically is to make the data available. Yeah.
6: The solution is any state should look at what I've done and, and either come to me or uh, I talk to Ed Dowd's guys, Carlos and Yuri, yep. we talk, um, put together a system to show what people are dying from and make that information public. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we need public transparency of health data. Yeah, That's number one. Um, what else can we do? There's a lot involved. We, we, we don't get into politics okay. here, but uh, you know, criminal, you have to have criminal prosecution, yes. otherwise the behavior will not stop. I agree. You can't just slap them on the wrist. These people murdered people en masse, and they knew what they were doing. And after they get the CDC memorandum is served to them, anybody who subsequently dies after a reasonable time after receiving it yeah. will have done so with knowledge that they should have investigated and they should have stopped this. Yeah. And have they not, now the mens rea is proven, and now you just have to prove causality.
1: So that's the summary, and uh, now we're going to, with that tease, we're going to now give you uh, several of the highlights of the interview. And he has written a book, John Budowin has written a book, and uh, now we're gonna, it's going to tell us what the purpose of it is.
6: I, I have the book coming out, and the, the thesis of the book, I'll tell you, is the symptom spectrum profile, that is the causes of death across society, across in this case, Massachusetts, changed on a year boundary from 2020 to 2021. Also the age spectrum profile and the seasonality profile. So the the profile of of deaths, what do they look like? All of a sudden on a year boundary, it starkly changed from respiratory in 2020, the year of COVID Mm -hmm. to circulatory, If you believe covid or hospital protocol deaths whatever i don't want to upset people that don't believe in covid right but um the age spectrum profile dropped about 10 years 10 years of the excess deaths
1: so in the interview he brings out a lot of uh powerpoints and shows a lot of graphs that uh are clear that the excess deaths are something we've never contemplated uh or dealt with Yet, where is the public health apparatus? They are complicit, obviously, with it. And that is a bold, horrible statement, but it is undeniable. And he gives a lot of the evidence of really what he points to, like he mentioned, is that in 2020, there was an excess death of pulmonary problem, of pulmonary deaths. But then in 2021, coincident with the onset of the COVID shots, it transitions into a um, Excess deaths of a lower age group, so that is tons of years lost of life years lost, and uh, and also by seasonality there's an increase. But it goes into the uh, pulmonary, changing to the blood or circulatory system, and as we've discussed many times before, and as Jordan talked about at the FLCCC conference this past week. Uh, the blood clotting and things of that nature are horrific. And um, Jordan being really the expert in our country about this, uh, it's undeniable. And, he t- and one of the things he talks about that I thought that was interesting in, in this interview, Mr. Bodoin talks about is the GI loss of blood from the uh, problems with the blood platelets and white blood cells, red blood cells is uh, aortic dissections have gone through the roof and, of course, uh, uh, heart attacks. Uh, I mentioned to y'all uh, back in November a patient who, uh, actually, no, is less, yeah, she, I saw her last month, but in November, a 56-year-old lady who had a blood clot in the artery of her coronary artery. Uh, it was a blood clot. It wasn't a stenotic lesion. It wasn't a cholesterol plaque. Uh, which I had never heard of or seen before, and the cardiologist confirmed that it it's extremely rare. Of course, she got several of the shots. But uh, one of the interesting things he also talks about, uh, he talks about the excess in pulmonary embolisms. There are 500 excess deaths in 21 and 22 uh, just in, Missouri, in, uh, in Massachusetts. And if you extrapolate all these excess deaths, we get to over 100,000 in our country. And uh, it's staggering. Uh, And so let's play this segment.
6: And they have this data, they should be doing this. That's their purview, but they're not doing it.
0: I mean, it's really amazing. You know, we reported, you know, over the last several weeks, there's this massive rise in in excess mortality. You know, uh, last year, 2023, uh nearly i think 100 and uh 50 over 150,000 excess deaths compared to the 2015 to 2019 you know average just skyrocketing i i say it's like 3 vietnams oh yeah uh, and yet, like, no one at CNN is even really asking a question about it. One report at Fox, I mean, this would be the opening of any, you know, dystopian nightmare future scenario where scientists are screaming, we don't know why, but in every nation in the world, excess mortality is, you know, tenfold, and yet it's just people like you that are doing anything about it or looking into it. If I throw this on the table, it's gonna be exonerated right away, it be the first thing that you do.
6: The word "know" that you kept using there, that's the important part. Okay. In order to prove somebody is guilty of a crime, the mens rea needs to be proven. Mm-hmm. So purposeful, knowing, reckless, negligent needs to be proven somehow. The CDC memorandum has the 172 facts enumerated, and then it goes through a legal analysis of uttering, which is a subset of fraud, if you will. Yeah. Um, and it has involuntary manslaughter, depraved heart murder, and felony murder. I go through the analysis of the facts, and once the document is served to the FDA, CDC, NIH directors, 12 of their subordinates, and then I'll copy six state attorneys general in the hopes that they'll impanel grand juries to investigate this. But once those directors are given knowledge, okay, they, have, they know, they have a legal duty to act. You and I don't have that legal duty. We didn't take that job. They took that job. Right. It's like a crossing guard not telling Johnny to not step out in the street. In fact, it's worse. It's like the crossing guard saying, Johnny, look at me, here comes a bus. Okay, Johnny, you ready? Go. Jumping, you know, right. jump, don't look for the bus. Look at me right. and then go. They have a legal duty to protect the public. Not only are they shirking their legal duty, but they're purposely not doing it so that they protect the vaccine and not the public. That's murder. And I can prove it in a court of law.
1: And then in this segment, he talks about the CARES Act, which was the behavior, he calls it the behavioral modification uh, enforcer. It, dramatically caused an increase in the use of remdesivir when there was a 20 percent bump added to the hospital bills. And this was coincident with a huge spike in acute renal failure deaths in the, in the state. Um, it's just unconscionable. And so let's play this segment.
6: The CARES Act is a behavior modification. They they modified the behavior of doctors through uh, incentives or through coercion from either medical boards or the hospital administrators who were financially incentivized. The renal failure didn't go up. I have other graphs to show exactly when it goes up, but it didn't go up as much in the uh, April and May EUAs for remdesivir for older people, and then the October 22nd, 2020 EUA. You know when it went up? After the November 2nd CMS.gov 20% adder, NCTAP, People can look that up. When that hit, It went sky high.
0: This is the moment they add that extra bonus charge onto every medical bill that tags 20% on any patient that you gave remdesivir. And look what happened folks. This is absolutely stunning. When you see it on a chart like this, you're in 2021. Remember, this is when we're told the virus isn't really deadly. And just as soon as you make that adjustment, you incentivize every hospital, an extra 20% bonus on the charge being given worth Tens of thousands of dollars, you suddenly watch this spike in renal failure it's, that goes through the uh, roof. And it hasn't come down.
6: It's hundreds of thousands. Hundreds uh, of thousands. Not, not to contradict no, you, but I appreciate uh, it. Sorry, I left
0: the zero <laughs> out <there.
6: laughs> Half a million dollar ICU stay. 20% is 100 Half grand. Half a million dollars. And people are, there are a million. But what you have here is a RICO criminal organization called the U.S. government in the CDC, FDA, I, NIH, yep. along with the medical boards. FSMB is right there. Why they exist, I have no idea. And then not only the state licensing boards, but the board certifications, American Board of Internal Medicine, Family Medicine, Pediatrics, they all got to go down because they're all working together against the health of the people. Yeah. They're killing, they killed a million Americans in the last no. couple of years. And I, it's a absolutely. RICO scam. And it's the government against the people, killing the people.
1: And so with all this data, Mr. Baldwin, uh lays out the, the facts, the clear facts, that basically He summarizes it in a way I haven't heard summarized before, in that it is a RICO case, but the government is the perpetrators of it. And so what we must do is hold these people to account and never allow them to do this again, because uh, it's unconscionable and um, extremely sad. But the facts do not lie. These people need to be held to account. And we hope that these, uh, that Mr. Budwin, like he mentioned in the interview, has sent a letter to the executives of the public health uh, apparatus, the whole monster that it is nationally, as well as to some states, to say, you're now under notice that you must evaluate this and do something about it. And please, Lord, if, if there is justice, these people will be held responsible for what they've done to us. With that, uh, we'll be back on the other side of the break. And thank you very much for joining us once again. I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley with Dr. Jordan Bond.
0: Well, the year 2024 must be the year of the Patriot. And AmericaOutloud.News will equip you with all the information you need to give new meaning to the words patriot act for our actions always ultimately define our words now is our time my fellow americans america outlaw talk radio liberty and justice for all
3: Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital.
1: My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't
6: work.
5: Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at EnergeticHealthInstitute.org.
4: These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow HealthyCell.com, code out loud. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. CofixRx has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the CoFixRx banner on americaoutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, americaoutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use CoFixRx because it works.
5: World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers.
2: So welcome back to America Out Loud. I wanted to share something that came up on the uh, most recent FLCCC conference. Um, I think it is at most currently a theoretical risk, but I think uh, someone I respect well, um, Dr. Pierre Corey uh, makes a pretty good argument on the lack of data um, that we have regarding this. And one of those things that he discusses is Uh, COVID-19 vaccine shedding. He is interviewed by Jan, uh, who is uh, with Epoch Times. He actually interviewed me and probably uh, my interview, which has nothing to do with shedding, will be coming out uh, not too long. But I do think that this discussion needs to be had. And I think it also, I think Pierre, as a gifted physician, but also a gifted communicator, does a real good job of explaining what his worries are. So from that, I'm gonna go ahead and start this interview.
5: I wanna talk today about something very controversial, which is shedding of these COVID vaccine products. And that, you know, there's been symptoms, uh, people uh, who have had been close to people who have had the vaccine, some seem to get similar symptoms. And this has been anecdotal. There's been discussion of this. I don't even know how rigorously this has been treated. We're going to have this conversation. But but it's, I, I understand it's a real thing. And back in the day, I thought this was total cuckoo land yep. initially. Yep.
7: Yep. And I'm going to say, I probably would agree with you. I mean, I know when the vaccines rolled out, that's the first thing that happened, right? So, social media started to make noise. And it was really driven by women. Um, and there's very good reasons for that, uh, who were reporting sudden menstrual abnormalities after years or decades of really regular cycles. And they were noticing that it it started to happen. They were talking amongst their friends. And these women started to notice that their cycles were off, heavy bleeding, missed, missed periods, things like that, painful periods and they hadn't been vaccinated, but they were, you know, everyone was getting vaccinated. And then there were social media groups where they started to talk about this and share. And then there was one group that started a website called My Cycle Story, where women were able to, you know, relate these things. But you know, when there's truth, when fact-checkers come after you, right? So those Facebook groups were disbanded. They were, you know, deplatformed. There was articles saying how ludicrous this was. This is just social media craze. And, So unlike you, I I mean, I kind of listened to it. I didn't know really what to make of it. And I didn't know what shedding really was and how that could be possible. But, you know, I finally did the scientific research. So here, here is my evolution is, um, in fact, the first patient I treated was March of 2021. It was a woman who got to me through actually a a podcast that I'd done an interview with. And she related that she had gone to a massage therapist who had gotten boosted the day before. And she came home that night and, uh, I think she missed her period within two days. She had tender, swollen breasts. She was cramping. And she said she had not, she'd been so regular for the last 20 years. She was 43, I think. Um, she said this was totally abnormal and she really related it to that very close exposure to the Mm -hmm. massage therapist. And, I didn't really know what to do for her. I, I knew ivermectin binds spike, and I thought maybe there was some shedding of spike, and I actually put her on ivermectin. Actually, she got her period back. She hadn't had her period in, I think, about six or eight weeks by the time she talked to me, and she still was very uncomfortable, and uh, about five days after ivermectin, she got her uh, period back. I had one other uh, anecdote very similar to that, and then I didn't have any any more for a long time, and then I opened my practice. And what happened is, me and my partner, we started to see these phenomenon in our patients. Some of them, even vaccine injured patients. So everybody thinks, you know, shedding. It's only the unvaccinated who are screaming, right? The anti-vaxxers who are saying they're being shed upon. That's not true. I have vaccine injured patients who are sensitive to being exposed Mm -hmm. to other vaccinated. And so, it's it's not just unvaccinated who are at risk. And so we saw these phenomena. Now now one of the things, it's, it's, it's a small cohort that are sensitive to shedding phenomenon. I think shedding is very common, but how often can it actually affect someone else? That's very variable. And our best, um, our best insight to this point, after doing a lot of research, talking with a lot of other clinicians, is that it tends to happen to people who are very sort of environmentally sensitive um, either or pharmacologically sensitive, like they can't handle pharmaceuticals, environments, um, have allergies, things like that. And and they some of them are really quite sensitive, but that's why I think most of us are unaffected. I also think there's a cohort out there who are sensitive and they just don't know what's happening to them. Um, I'll give you a great example. So two weeks ago, I was seeing a patient in follow-up and it's a patient of mine who'd made significant progress. He's a vaccine injured uh, patient And during the visit, we're talking and he said, you know, he's telling me all the things that are bothering him suddenly. And I was really disappointed because it was clearly a a regression or a relapse. And he just spontaneously says, you know, Dr. Quir, there's this other thing. He's like, I can't, I can't go into grocery stores anymore. He says, you know, like I go into Trader Joe's and with about five minutes, I feel so terrible. I have to leave there. And then he says, and then yesterday, we were at a farmer's market. It was like a Sunday. He said it was really crowded there. And again, I felt terrible and I had to leave. And I said to him, I said, well, you know what that is, right? Because I had written this huge series on all of my research on shedding and let many of my patients read my substack. And he said, no, I don't read your substack. And I said, well, that's shedding. What's shedding? And I explained it to him. And so um, there are people who don't know what's making them sick. And, um, you know, I think with him now, now he's much better. He, he now knows to be cautious. But um, here's where I, I think we should start, Jan, if you don't mind. I, I do want to talk about, that shedding is real. And the reason why I'm saying it's real is the FDA knows it's real, right? So if you think about the vaccines, the vaccines are not traditional vaccines, clear to everyone, right? They're, something's different about them. Some people know exactly what they're new, but what they really are is they're defined as gene therapy products, right? And there's an FDA definition of a gene therapy in their document on shedding from 2015. And in that document, they state that A gene therapy is any time you inject genetic material, and that material then produces a product, okay? Mm. Clearly, that's what these vaccines are, right? We inject mRNA, mRNA makes spike, gene therapy, okay? In that document, they state that all gene therapy products should undergo shedding studies, not only in animals, but in humans. And there's no shedding studies that have been done on these gene therapies, but if you look at the market of gene therapies, there's I have evidence of at least four products that are out there. In the inserts of each one, they note that they will shed. So one is a, one, one is for an eye disease. They said it secretes in the tears uh, and, in, and in any of the drainage for up to a week. There's another one where it's 30 days in the feces where the products of that gene sheds. And another one says two weeks. And so all of these other ones on the market, It's clearly in the insert. There was no insert here. In fact, what's even more astonishing and scary is we embarked on a global vaccination campaign with a gene therapy, which is in a category of therapeutic, which is known to shed. All the other products in the market are shed and yet never the discussion of shedding. And if you ever bring it up, if it ever shows a newspaper again. Fact check to death. You'll see articles coming out on any claim of shedding, and then you'll get the usual quotes from the experts with all the letters behind their names that shedding is impossible, and and then they do a sleight of hand trick because shedding is a is actually. There's two definitions of shedding. The word shedding has been used in relation to vaccines for a long time. It's usually from like the uh, somewhat deactivated vaccines or somewhat inactivated vaccines. So they're live virus vaccines. So those older classes of vaccines, it's known that when you inject someone, I think like with polio, for instance, like some polio virus can then shed. And that's something that they've studied, but that's the virus that they're injecting that right. can then shed, not the product of the genetic material that then sheds. Mm-hmm. Because the problem with this, right, This is a gene therapy. They told us it would stay in their arm for a few days, right, not go anywhere else, and that the spike protein antibody production would shut off. We're drowning in evidence that neither of those statements are true. So now you have something with not, you don't have an endpoint on the production of an- a- antibodies and and so this is quite scary. And we're inject- and we're doing these repeatedly, right? It's not like a gene therapy where you give it once. Here, we're- how many boosters are we up to now? How
5: many exactly. rounds? Not only is it not staying in the arm, but, with you know, through this, you know, incredible delivery vice of the uh, lipid nanoparticle, it yes. goes absolutely, can go absolutely everywhere, blood-brain barrier penetration, you know, over testes, everything. Now you're saying it's actually exiting the body somehow. Like how? Is it through yeah. the... Yeah. So you just brought up the, the the second piece
7: of the puzzle. So the first piece is that we have to understand that gene therapy shed, that the FDA knows they shed, that they want studies to be done on shedding. But the other thing that we need to know about these vaccines <laughs> is they belong to another category of therapeutics. So not only do they fit under the gene therapy category, but they fit under what's called nanoparticle technology. Mm-hmm. That's the key to your question. So the mRNA is delivered in lipid nanoparticles. And lipid nanoparticles are synthetic, right? They're made in the lab, but they're the natural counterpart to something in our bodies called exosomes. So exosomes are part of how our bodies signal, do cell-to-cell communication. They're almost like little hormones. Lots of communication is done with, with uh, uh, exosomes. And what happens is when you inject a lipid nanoparticle, the thing about nanoparticles is that they can traverse almost any physiologic barrier. That's why that 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 lie about staying in the arm, there's no nanoparticle technology that's ever stayed where you put it in because it naturally traverses all boundaries. And so it spreads throughout the body. We have knowledge of that from EMA documents, from FOIA documents, uh, from studies, autopsy studies.
2: I think what Pierre is trying to state here is that... Um, the concept of shedding is not necessarily as foreign as we might think. I will say it still is a surprising concept to me, and I will um, continue to kind of vet it myself. But the reality is, is that Pierre makes a good point that the reason that the concept exists is because it is a known concept in the context of genetic um, therapy. So, again, he even makes the great argument, as he is a good scientist, before he goes out and makes some kind of crazy statement, he looks for the evidence that may exist. And the fact that the FDA, for genetic products, requires shedding studies, uh, basically, uh, you know, proves that it at least is a worry and if it is a worry uh then it's something we need to take seriously i think the second uh part of this is that it is true that the genetic material that we are injecting um is not necessarily going away um it has a lot to do with lipid nanoparticles but it also has a lot to do with whether it's exosomes or other endosomes those may, meaning things that basically store the genetic material and then can be transmitted um to other people similar to how a virus actually uh, transmit again the mrna itself is just a message uh but that message once transfected into the cell is carried to the nerve center and from the near nerve center is told to be made into whatever that genetic message is. So, as somewhat far-fetched as it might be, um, I do think we have to pay attention to it now. The truth is, some of the reason that I am skeptical is because most of these people that he is discussing the people that are extremely sensitive to a lot of situations. Uh, there are a multitude of things that could exacerbate and make them feel bad. Obviously, we have talked about this on the show before, but the concept of mast cell activation is an important concept. So, mass activation is uh, not necessarily you having any more mast cells. Uh, but that your mast cells themselves are more likely to degranulate and excrete a lot of their mediators. So mast cells are a immunological cell. It's kind of like a white blood cell in a sense that lives in your environmental interfaces, environmental interfaces, meaning where your body interacts with the environment. So those things would be the eyes, the nose, the sinuses, the oropharynx, your mouth, your your throat, your GI tract, your lungs, your skin, your um, even around your vessels. And most importantly, uh, it's actually a lot in uh, your brain. It actually is involved in your microglia, uh, which again is kind of the immune system of your brain. Um, given that, uh, these things are able to degranulate from a lot of different reasons. It could be temperature. It could be exposure to uh, allergens. It could be exposure to uh, other excipients. um, It could be exposure to even people, smells, um, vaccines, tissue, trauma, uh, you, you name it. So I will say that one thing that holds me back from being a big proponent of this is that I do know that people that have been vaccinated and vaccine injured also seem to be people with mast cell activation syndrome a lot of times. And given that they have mast cell activation syndrome, it is highly likely that they will be very very sensitive to a lot of their environmental uh, antigens. And some of the anecdotal stories that Pierre and his partner give usually involve, whether it's surgery, so anesthesia, uh, dentistry, uh, it involves going to places like Trader Joe's per se or farmer's markets where the main that is available to them to cause those kind of mass cell activations or mass cell degranulations is quite plentiful. And given that, it is a little bit uh, harder for me to understand exactly That it is the exosomal or it is the mRNA information that is being transmitted and causing them to feel bad, as opposed to some type of external allergen or external issue. But the reason I wanted to present this is because people ask a lot about shedding. uh, And despite me being a little bit hesitant to come to uh, believe that it is possible, After discussing with Pierre, as well as his presentation of what I would say the reasonable caution that even the FDA has gone to when they have approached genetic products, it at least makes it a possibility. And given that we need to be mindful, especially as we continue to have our public health officials tell us to get another and another and another booster of genetic Uh, code or information wrapped in lipid nanoparticles um, for your safety so again this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn with Dr. Stuart Tankersley this is America Out Loud Pulse always one beat ahead